Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Can you help me redefine truth and preservation of our soul shine? I can feel it, yours and mine. Close your eyes and witness it inside. In your bones, you will know. Trust and let go. All Things in the Name of Love, with your host, Dr. Erica Riesberg. Music by Megan Moreau. Episode 34, Learning How to Let Go of Fear and Live in the Present, with Amanda Johnson. Today I am speaking with the amazing being of light and book doula, Amanda Johnson. She came into my life earlier this year, and she is just one of the most beautiful souls I've had the opportunity to get to know. And I just feel so blessed and honored to have you in my life, my dear. So thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you, Erica. It is an honor to share this space with you. Thank you. So I want to know how you came to find this gorgeous, amazing calling that you have. Yeah. What a good question. Thank you. (laughs) Well done. How did I come to find it? I'm going to go with saying that it found me. Mm. And I'll say that because I had no plans, intentions, vision boards, anything uh, that would have landed me doing this work. I was for the more, you know, timeline answer <laughs> for to give you a little backstory on me. You know, I came from a background of theater. I had always seen myself as a performer, an artist, a creative, but in this realm of, perf- you know, stage performance, being in the spotlight. And over the years, that career shifted. And interestingly, at the time, going through my life, by my late 20s, and I made a conscious decision to stop performing, I, quote unquote, stumbled into this consulting job, or which then turned into a career. And even then, I remember thinking, wow, that's, this is so strange. Like, how am I a consultant? I didn't even know what consultants did. I didn't know this was a career. I how is this, how am I doing this? And there was a bit of uh, awe or just not really, once not having made the plan, I did not set out to become a consultant. Well, then a few years after that, uh, not because of my own doing per se, I was on a track in consultant uh, company that I was working for. And then I had someone invite me to take another position outside the company. And I said, oh, well, okay, sure. So here I was again being guided or led this other direction. I'm thinking, oh, now at the time I wasn't aware that this is what was going on. But as I reflect, I'm seeing this is what was happening is that I was being guided, being led. um, Because again, I ended up in another position, another career that I had no 
idea that I would have ever had in my life. It wasn't like my eight-year-old self said, one day I'm going to be, you know, I, that wasn't, this is all of a sudden like, wow, I'm doing this now. Okay. And then that ended fairly quickly. It was about six months in and I was done. And that left me in a little bit of a lurch because I thought, wow, now what? And at this point I had just been going with the flow, if you will. I was being guided from one thing to the next to the next. And now I knew I needed to make a bit more of a conscious decision not to take the easy path, which would have been to get another job. And so at that point, I was asked to take that trust and faith that I had been developing unbeknownst to me, because I didn't realize I was developing faith and trust all those years, and asked to really put it to the test. So uh, about five and a half years ago, I quit my job and I didn't get another one. And I let the next many years unfold and guide me once again to what I'm doing now. And, and over the series, over those years, I, I took a life coach training program. I wrote my own book. I have the support of a woman who helped me write my book. So she, in a sense, does what I do now. And at some point I realized, oh, I can help others do this. But it wasn't, again, like I set out to do it. It was just, I, rem I received the message one day and I started to follow the breadcrumbs. And lo and behold, I'd say about a year and a half after that seed was planted, here we are today. And I have, you know, a dozen clients that I've had the pleasure of supporting and working with them to bring their books into the world, to give voice to their messages. And... I am excited to see what comes next. Describe the process by which you help someone. So the, I see myself as, and the term book doula was really uh, gifted to me. I wish I could remember who gifted it to me. I can't, but I know someone mentioned that to me at one point and said, wow, it's like you're a doula for books. You're a book doula. I said, wow, I like that and I'm going to use it. And the reason I like it so much is because for me, the process is holding space for the transformation that will occur, not only for the author, just as any woman's body will transform in the process of getting pregnant and giving birth, not only her body, I mean, her spirit, her, her soul, her everything I imagine will transform her life. And of course, the baby itself, the book coming into the world, there's that whole transformation from embryo to a human or from an idea to a physical book. Mm -hmm. So for me, I'm, I'm holding that container and that space for that transformation to unfold. And that can look slightly different for each author that I support. Mainly, it's offering. Again, that, that energetic, emotional, mental support that is needed as we, as authors, undergo the transformation we are about to undergo. I also offer more of the practical support when it comes to structural and developmental editing, copy editing, proofreading. I help them get the book designed. I help them get the book out into the world through these different distribution channels. So I, I take it from what I like to say from conception to delivery. 
and I support the entire process. That's amazing. I don't know anyone else that does that. I'm sure I'm not the only one. I mean, only because we live in a planet of how many billion. Well, true, but I just personally don't know anyone. (laughs) And you're right. I don't personally know someone who does it quite like me either. And yet, yes, you're right. I mean, yeah. (laughs) Yes, you can take that in. (laughs) One of the things I love about you is how, how easily we hold space for one another. And that is a gift that I just adore about you because you're so fully present in the language, in the communication, in the inflections, and in the whole process that it's a joy to interact with you. And is this something that is innate or you've cultivated or how has that come about? I, I'm smirking, as you said, is that innate? And of course, I'm going to now actually contradict myself because I'm going to say, of course, it's not innate. And then I'm thinking, <laughs> of course it is. <laughs> we all innately are present beings. We are all innately here and now. And we have spent a lifetime distracting ourselves from that. So yes and no. Yes, it is innate. And it took many years for me to remember it and to reveal it to myself again. because. If you ask my loving ex-partner for, gosh, we were together for maybe six years, and this was during those transitional career moments of my life, and um, he, he was constantly asking me or reminding me or nudging me to just, hey, could you just be here? Just be here now. Like, can you stop worrying about the future? Can you stop, like, regretting the past? Can you stop? Can you just be here now? Like, I didn't even know the phrase, be here now, at the time. Mm-hmm. And so I, I use that as my reminder, because that actually does feel like a long ago past, even though it was, you know, a, dec- a decade ago. Mm-hmm. And um, so in the last decade, I would, I, say, I would say I've gone from that, which was like oblivious to the present moment. I didn't even know what it meant to be present. I didn't, and I was so not present that I didn't realize I wasn't present. Like that's how, how far I was removed from the present. Because actually part of the evolution of becoming present is to notice you're not being present. So the moment I noticed I wasn't being present, ah, there was the, that was the light. That was the portal. That was the hole that I could like start digging in. And that really didn't come about until about this five and a half year mark ago. So let's cut that decade in half. And about five years ago, I was gifted or told about the power of now. And it still seems so funny that it took me that long in my life. And yet it also now feels like a lifetime ago when I read it. But the power of now shifted everything for me. I was finally ready. And that poor boyfriend of mine, who by that point was an ex, I felt so bad for because I thought, ah, you tried for many years. And it took Eckhart Tolle. It took Eckhart and he finally got it, got it, I got it now. And um, I read his book and with, I feel like my life did a 180, not really because the external world was exactly the same for many, many years, but my internal world shifted dramatically. And then it was a practice. So then I took, I would say a devoted practice to be present. And I would pretty much just like gobble up anything Eckhart wrote, 
and you know anything and then I would write about it so I would reinforce what I was learning and share it by sharing it with others and now I could tell you it feels innate like I don't think about being present anymore I just am but it hasn't always been this way <laughs> it's such a process to remember what we should know right oh. I came across this, it was last week, I was, because I remember it, so for some reason, my adult self really got that we're not separate, and my little four-year-old came out, I was like, I was right, I was right, and she was like carrying that, that, you know, that, that whole, like, really, all those adults were wrong and they lied to me and I was right. I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. And it was such a beautiful thing because I carried that energy for a good hour and I showed up at a meeting and, and the woman that met me was like, what's that? I said, that would be my four-year-old. <laughs> and that would be my four-year-old celebrating that she was, you know, something she knew innately was remembered. And it was, it was so beautiful because that's what happens. Like when we finally like, right. Yeah. And, and the hard part is, and it's, I'm better at it than I ever have been is the not judging yourself in the process of the remembering, because it's not anything to judge. It's a, it's a paying attention to how you're responding without getting caught in the story of it. Which is why I think Eckhart Tolle spoke so powerfully to me and why I then wrote the first book I wrote because I noticed that for me, the first, first thing I needed to learn or remember was how to practice non-judgmental awareness or mm -hmm. be the non-judgmental observer of my life. So that was my practice. That was my daily practice. And it was how can I witness? I mean, you know, every teacher since the beginning of time talks about this in some way, shape or form, being the witness, being the I am, being the observer, et cetera, et cetera. And it took me you know, years of practicing that and then writing a book about it in that the whole book looks at non-judgmental awareness mm -hmm. and how can I be the observer and not be in judgment? Because that is, that is what shifted my life. It doesn't mean I don't catch myself judging from time to time. And am I in that moment able to observe it? So that's, you know, it's, it's this constant ongoing, be the observer, be the observer, be the observer. What I have found is during the day, I'm totally cool about that at night. My head, so I, I had something come in last night that my, my inner child was trying to get out and my mind started playing words with friends. I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> Like, really, this is not what is, is it that scary that you have to distract me so inanely and kept like popping in words that had nothing to do with what was going on. I was like, wow. So I talked to my head brain and I'm like, honey, it's okay. Let me feel what's going on. And finally it calmed down because my subconscious is so strong. I'm, I'm a recovering academic. So my headspace is really, really trained to just be running all the time in my heart space is like, yeah, but I don't really need you anymore. I love you. And so during the day I can catch myself and at night, every once in a while I get words with friends. <laughs> Which is also okay. Right. I mean, that's, that's the 
part of it. That's, and that's the beauty of in the moment going, ah, oh, okay. And then not judging that. And right. Then and going, oh my gosh, there I go again. Because trust me, I, yeah, it's the, <laughs> yeah, the the like ongoing mental to do list, and like, and I, and I shouldn't even say that I don't have many to do lists, but I will still find myself try just that mind of mine wants to grab onto anything. It's like, can we just think about like, I don't know, do you want to like check your calendar one more time? Maybe we should block that. Yeah, you know, it's it's just these tiny little things it does because I'm. I'm actually noticing, I had this conversation with a friend the other day, my, call it your ego, call it your personality, call it whatever, however you want to identify with it, but what I identify with, my personality, my ego, et cetera, it doesn't have a whole lot to stand on anymore. It doesn't have a whole lot to hold onto anymore because I have over the past few years been tearing it down and, and like, let, like we have thrown so much out that it's grasping for straws at this point. And so it's interesting to then observe just how hard it will hold on to a few things, you know, and interestingly, they are what I would call the spiritual things, but it's like still just trying to hold on to that. Like, you know, it, it still has to be hard because if you don't, if it's not hard, now I got nothing. <laughs> now I got nothing to stand on. So I need, I need a job. I need something to do. I need to protect you. And if you're just totally okay all the time with nothing to fear, I got no job anymore. I got no business being here. And, uh, and I, I'm not going to, I'm never going to assume that we will ever be without the ego, but I can see how it'll still, it'll kind of rear its like, Oh, it's head to go. Please, please, please. I'm still here. I need something to do. It's like, okay, all right, all right, I'll give you like my calendar for a while. Just hang on, like, think about, worry about that for like a second, because I know you need something. <laughs> no. <laughs> mm. So yes, sometimes words with friends, sometimes schedules. And the journey from the head to the heart. What is it? The, the brilliant phrase I've been hearing. It's like the longest, you know, 12-inch journey one will ever take. It's mm -hmm. uh, and and getting into that heart space is <clears throat> excuse me it's just one of the most beautiful comforting relaxing spaces to be in and you know one of my intentions is to through these podcasts help people get there because it's such such a really amazing place to not be in survival mm. mm -hmm. Mm. So to that end, how do you help your writers get into that space? I intuitively mm. get them there. And that might sound like a bit of a cop-out, but I say that because as you ask me that, I, I actually think I don't know. And I know that I do. So I have witnessed over the past year, as I've been working one-on-one -on -one with clients, that it, it, and it is very intuitive. I, I, I actually will often introduce myself or uh, explain to potential clients that I am an intuitive editor. I, I may or may not know all of the rules and, you know, the different manuals and da 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 I do, I am, I do get kind of geeky about that at times, but I, I am, that's not my first step. That's mm -hmm. not my first um, 
level of defense, I start intuitively and I ask questions and I, I point things out and I notice with every client what they have inevitably at some point along the way, they have had some revelation, some aha. Uh, they have, I just had a call with one, uh, a woman yesterday I'm working with and she she had already written her book. So she was giving me a, a fairly completed manuscript. Some clients, some authors come with no words written and some come with a full manuscript. So she had already written her book and I went through it and I did my first you know, read through and offered these questions and digging deep. Because for me, it's all about, I want to know, and I'll say this almost all the time, like, how are you feeling? What were you thinking? And I will use the word thinking because it's sometimes we need to get into their mind. We need to get into their head and we need to get into their heart, which is, and, and how did that impact you? What were you feeling? What, you know, what was your connection to that? How did that leave you? And I ask those questions and I push people and I don't realize I'm doing that. I, 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 I'm doing what I feel naturally inclined to do or intuitively guided to do. But I will have these clients like this woman yesterday say, boy, Amanda, there are times I'm going through that and I'm just hating you because <laughs> you're making me go so much deeper than I want. And then she's like, and thank you. And thank you. And then um, I had another client even just the other day. She's, she's writing a very, very personal, painful story of uh, the loss of her son to heroin. Mm-hmm. And, you know, same. I'm asking her to go deeper. And it isn't easy. But for me, it's the only way. Because as I started off saying, the book is the end product. It is the thing that will come into the world at the end. But the journey of writing it is the most, is, is the transformation. It is the transformational experience. And I don't want to shortchange anybody on that. And I, that's what I'm here for, is to guide intuitively each author I work with to a deeper, more truer version of themselves. Mm-hmm. So through questions, through prodding, through poking, and through saying, hey, I think there's something more here. Let's, let's explore it. Wow, that's amazing. Is there a correlation between being present and the increase in your intuitive abilities? A hundred percent. When I am present, I do not have the ability to self-edit, or judge, or doubt, or worry about what is coming through. Now, that doesn't mean it doesn't happen from time to time, but when I am really fully present, as I am right here, right now, with you, in this conversation, I am able to be the open channel. I mean, so many of us talk about that, you know, being the open channel. Well, for me, it's, it's presence. Because it is in this moment in time that any word that I'm hearing in my brain that then wants to come through my mouth, I am allowing it to do that. And so in my, that to me is my intuition. My intuition can speak to me because I'm not busy thinking about what I'm going to say next or worrying about what I just said. As soon as I do that, my intuition has no space. It has, it doesn't get the floor. Uh, And if it is talking to me, I'm not listening to it. And so I do find when I edit, for example, or when I'm looking at a a client's manuscript, I 
and I tell them this, I don't go back and edit my comments later. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, in that moment, write what I think needs to be said or the question that I want to ask because I trust that there is something in that intuitively mm-hmm. that needs to be expressed. Sometimes there's gold, sometimes there's, you know, so it doesn't, but, but there's at times there's gold and that's what we're, we're mining for. Um, but it's in the presence that the intuition has space to be heard. Mm. So what are the practices you use to get, is it, is it just, um, my understanding is that you bring the consciousness into when you're not present versus when you are present. Is there, is that a fair guess? Okay. And then is there anything else you do to help keep you in that space of present? No. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) And I say that slightly (laughs) sheepishly and slightly like, you know, uh, pridefully. I, 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 I say it because, and I don't, I say pridefully with, with a bit of a, with a bit of a, you know, smile on my face because it's, I used to, I used to do much more actions, you know, whether that was a seated meditation practice, whether that was, I would play with my mind and, and say, I wonder what the next thought will be <laughs> and wait and see what happens. So I used to use tools and practices and techniques and that was absolutely essential i'm at this point in my experience for now it may change i have found that the very um active practical tools the ones that i you know are are, uh they would actually take me out of the moment because i can see it as a uh, something that i would be thinking i should do or some sort of crutch. So for me, in this point in time, it is, it's this, it's this awareness, it's this consciousness, as you very eloquently said, that I'm using to go, ah, I'm not present, and then back to present. Because the, and Eckhart says this, the moment we realize we are not present, we are present. So there we are, and now I can be present again. So it doesn't require me. And I'm noticing that I am, because I've practiced that enough, I'm more trusting that I can, I can simply show up and be present. Like I, I, I used to need to get myself ready to be present, mm-hmm. right? Which almost sounds uh, a bit incongruous or incongruent, you know, in a way, right? Like, oh, I have to like prepare to be present. Well, no, because and- if, you, if you're going from a place of not being present all the time and you're reconditioning your behavior, it has to be a, okay, I'm going to do this for, uh, let's see, 20 minutes. I'm going to be completely present because it's a muscle you're training. Yes. Yes, exactly. And, and I, and that's why I don't, that was a, it's pivot. It's, it's, it's an essential part of the process. And I don't feel the, at least I'm not conscious that I'm doing that. I mean, I could be doing it. It's the, there are the four stages, right. Of, uh, of knowledge. I'm going to see if I can remember these off the top of my head in this moment, but there's the unconscious, oh gosh, now I really want to, (laughs) unconscious incompetence. Okay. So we don't know that we don't know. Mm -hmm. Then there is the unconscious, no, then there's the conscious incompetence. Oh, now I know 
that I don't know. Then there's the conscious competence. I now know that I know. So it's like, I'm consciously competent. So there's still the action, like, okay, I'm going to meditate. I'm conscious that I know this. And then there's the unconscious competence. And all of a sudden we just know it and we don't have to think about it anymore. Right. And that's actually the, the, the stages. I mean, that's like riding a bike. It starts the same way. Right. Mm-hmm. So at some point you don't have to think about how to ride the bike or think about how to drive the car. You are unconsciously competent. And I think, and we can all look at our lives and go, Oh, I can see that in all these different ways. And I would say for me now being present, I am unconsciously competent. That's not really just beautiful. Real pain, though. <laughs> that's a, a very humble statement, but that's right. Yeah. Like. Yeah. Yeah, because I, I notice when I um when I swim, I, I consciously bring myself into thanking my body for unconsciously being conscious of how to swim. Because really, I mean that's that's it's such there's so many components to swimming. It's a it's a it's a big process. And I've I've been doing it since I was little, so it's innate. I don't have to think about it. I just jump in the water and I start swimming. I don't even have to think about where my hands are going or anything. And that's that's just like, thank you subconscious for doing this because this is an amazing gift you're giving me. And to bring that awareness into your daily actions, like I'll make chai and I'll just know what to put in and I'm just watching myself. And it's just a beautiful thing to just know that this is so almost memorized that I don't have to, I don't have to pay attention to it because it's just that flow. Yeah. Yeah. And I think there might be uh, some slight false belief that we can do that when we swim, when we ride a bike, drive a car, make our favorite chai. But when it comes to our own spiritual evolution, we must do these practices every single day. Now, And I am not in any way minimizing practice and devotion because Mm -hmm. there's something really beautiful to that. Mm -hmm. And are we willing to suspend that belief for a moment and go, what if I just know how to do it? What if I just know how to be present? What if I just know how to be spiritual? Quote unquote, Mm -hmm. I use that word very loosely. What if I just know how to live from my heart? Mm -hmm. It's going to take the, us going through all of those stages Mm-hmm. and are we willing because I think there's this was one of the things I was talking with my friend about we hold on to this belief that we won't ever really know or we won't ever really remember and it perpetuates us in this conscious competence stage endlessly well I know I I know either I'm, I'm either consciously incompetent or consciously competent and I wonder how many of us actively keep ourselves from moving into unconscious competence because who in the world would I be and what in the world would I do if I didn't have to consciously be thinking about this all the time? Mm -hmm. I notice when, and I love it. Like I can, I know when I'm not doing something and when it's my intuition kicking in and it's such a peaceful state because I'm not in charge. I'll, I'll look at it and go, wow, I, wow, that's really okay. That's really amazing that I just shared that or I just did that. And and I think that's when my conscious self kicks in because it's like, oh, this is really curious because it's this, this 
flow, which I love, love and flow. And then that ego kicking in and saying, wait a minute, what just happened? Wait, I wasn't involved in this. This is really interesting. What, what's going on? You didn't need me? And that's really what the process is, is getting to the point where the personality ego releases that fear to the point where it's not dominant. Hmm. So I want to talk to you for hours. <laughs> It would be fun. Yeah. <laughs> oh, is there anything else you feel called to share with me right now? Letting yourself, giving yourself permission to remember these things, to live from the heart and as you just said about the ego, let it know that it's okay. It's okay. It, it's never going to go away. And we can, we can be more willing to not have to be in the, the struggle or the fight or the suffering or the, you know, how can I just extend this more and more? Because I honestly think for many of us at this stage in our collective evolution and consciousness, the, one of the things we're now up against is, are we willing to let our attachment to all of that go and allow ourselves to be who we truly are? Because for me, that's the last piece. It's, we are prepared. I believe perpetuating it, our cycle, uh, because we aren't quite yet willing to say, oh, I do remember. Oh, I do know. Mm -hmm. Oh, I have found. I am no longer seeking. I can see. Mm -hmm. And living from that space instead of this false belief that I will forever have to find, seek and therefore never find. Mm -hmm. And my invitation right now for all of us, myself included, I'm saying this to me and to everyone listening is, are we willing to let that, that part of the story go? Because when I remember just how powerful I truly am, I mean, that's like taking the last little piece of carpet out from underneath the ego. And I want to do that. I want to remember how powerful I truly am. Mm -hmm. And that requires me letting go of the belief that I will never find that. Mm. Thank you. Thank you. How may people find you, darling? Well, they could come to Vicenza, Italy and start wandering around the Basilica. <laughs> <laughs> You're bound to find me somewhere here. But for those of you who like to do things virtually... Uh, you can find me online. I have a website, amandajohnson.tv, short for television, even though it is not a television station. But go to my website, amandajohnson.tv. I, have, I haven't updated it in a very long time, but there are ways to find me there. There are resources, content. 
I have a podcast that you can find there as well. And then on social media at being Amanda J. And darling, what is the name of your podcast? The Being Inspired Radio Show, which you have been a guest on. I know. And depending on timing of all these wonderful things, it may or may not be out by now when this releases. (laughs) But if it's not out yet, it's coming out soon. So stay tuned. Thank you so, so very much for being on my show today. I feel so blessed and honored, my love. The feeling is mutual. Thank you so much for holding this space, for creating this space, and for shining your light in the world because we all need a little more light. Mm -hmm. Thank you. The action item of the week is to bring awareness to your thoughts. Do this daily for about 10 minutes a day. Don't judge. Just be aware. That's the first step in becoming more present. Until next time, I bid you the highest peace, love, and prosperity. Namaste. Can you help me redefine truth and preservation of our soul shine? I can feel it yours and mine. Close your eyes and witness it inside. In your bones, you will know. Trust and let go. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.